If you see your parents and they look like they're struggling, then don't take the same path they're taking. Before you really go after a mentor, you really got to do some things on your own to be self-sufficient, self-aware, and show a level of consistency. You asking me all these questions or you want to do this and that around me or with me, but what have you been doing on your own? Don't come to me from ground zero. It's okay to be different because being different makes you instantly a leader. It makes you instantly a thought leader and thought provoker as well. Jason, appreciate you coming on the show, bro. Thanks again. Man, I appreciate you, man. Appreciate you for having me. You said you're from, uh, you're from Maryland. My aunt, she has a, a house down in Arlington, Arlington, Virginia. Arlington, Virginia. Yeah. So I've gone through different parts of, uh, you know, Maryland and whatnot. It's a beautiful area, depending. No, nah, man. Good people, uh, good people, good food. You know, the weather just terrible, man. It just depends on when you go out there. <laughs> and you're in Houston now. What uh, what was the decision for for moving down to Houston? You had mentioned real estate. Yeah. Uh, what, that what was are... it. That, that was it, man. That was the biggest decision. You know, coming from Northeast, the, ho the homes grow. They go up, right? And then further west and south you go, they go out. So I was like, man, I need, in this stage of my life, I need out. I need space. I need to, you know, I need that. So yeah. um, that was a deciding. Plus, you know, the weather not bad and the food is just as good here as it is anywhere. So that was a deciding factor. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I think I think Houston was the number one multifamily real estate market for a year or so, right? See it, yeah, I can see it doing that, man. There's a lot of apartments. There's a lot of multi-family uh, units that just come up. It seems like every six months because there's so much space, so much space out here. Like the developers. Out here, don't know what to do with all that space, man. But they just do apartment buildings every six months. <laughs> I remember going to Dallas the first time years ago was for like a mortgaging, when I was in the mortgage industry years ago, uh, like a conference training. And again, being from Ohio, live here in Columbus, I was like, yo, this is different world down here. The highway system, like 19 lanes. You could just see land for days. Obviously, parts of Ohio, you see cornfields for days, depending on where you're going. Uh, I really enjoy my time down in Texas. But yeah, dude, let's get the uh, let's get the audience kind of up to speed with what you have going on. I know you have a few things going on. You just released a book. Uh, I did, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about that, man. You know, it's called The Unconventional Path of Education uh, by myself. Um, and I've never had somebody asked me to, you know, basically just create a book about how I went the unconventional way, right? The unconventional way is no education or lack thereof from the traditional way of going to school. I got educated by common sense, the streets, and what most people call failures, that's how I learned, right? So just by trial by fire, just don't, just throw me in the fire. That's how I'm going to learn. And uh, I've created a, a, ca a mental callus of failures, right? Because I'm like, all right, man, I'm learning. I'm getting it. I'm learning. So mentally, I'm not counting it as failures. I'm just like, all right, it's helped me get to whatever my next level is. And that's what all that's what my book is all about, man. Just getting to that that next level, the unconventional way. What would you say are some of the, like the unconventional things that people can do to become educated, right? Because we're, I think, at this point. In 2024, I think it's very evident the last couple of years that we are not living, right? Most people are surviving and they're running the rat race, right? Like they're just a part of the system and instead of running their own race, instead of 
creating their own journey. And for you, you said growing up, uh, you learned from the streets, right? Like the street smarts, being emotionally intelligent versus, which by the way, that's, there's no problem with going to high school and college. I'm not a guy that's going to say, don't go to college. Like my daughter's in college right now, right? She's a freshman in college. I went to college my freshman year, but I, I didn't make it to the whole year. I left that first semester, but I got, I think for me, man, I just got a lot out of it. Even that first semester, it was enough for me. I just can't learn that way. That's just my personal thing. And when I do talk about, I learn from the streets. I'm not like saying I'm not like, I'm some cold gangster, like I'm Frank Lucas out here just dealing so much major cocaine. I ain't, I ain't saying I learn from the streets that way. When I say I learn from the streets, I'm basically just saying that when I'm hearing and seeing other people's examples on how they're living their life and what they're complaining about or what their successes are, without being in a classroom, I can catch on that much faster, right? So some of the things that people can do the unconventional way right now is if you see your parents and they look like they're struggling, then don't take the same path they're taking. If you ask your parents about credit, if you ask your parents about real estate, and they don't know anything about that, then that means you need to go self-educate. You need to do it, do it on your own if you got those questions and you can't ask those people closest to you. Another way I, I love to do things the unconventional way is I sought after a mentor, but I didn't do it the way that normal people do it, right? I saw a guy that was highly successful and I just asked him, hey, is there a way, any form of fashion that I can just assist you with what you're doing. Can I carry you? Can I, can I help you just wash your car? Can I help you uh, cut your grass? Because it wasn't about doing things with him business-wise. I have nothing to add at that point. But if I can be around this man's aura some way, form, or fashion, guess what's always going to end up happening? He's going to see my dedication, my, my passion to be a helper first and, and a sister. And then he's going to, nine times out of ten, in my case, he's going to say, all right, well, let me Help you? Are you interested in this business stuff? And then help you all, help you along the way that way. So that was one of another way that I did things unconventional. Because nobody going up to nobody that don't need to say, "Hey, let me cut your grass." I don't need to do it. I just need to be around you, or let me, you know, hold your gym bag if you if you try to learn basketball from an amazing basketball player. Most people think they need to, you know, uh, I guess have a meeting with you and then ask for no. I think mentorship can come from if you want somebody to mentor you, let them see that you can add value to, the, to their life. Some way, form or fashion, the mentorship going to end up coming. Yeah. And I'll give a, a unique example as well that immediately came to mind when you said that, because we all know that online, right, through podcast show, we all say like, you got to get information, you got to, you know, remove toxic people. You have to get coaches and mentors and read books and buy courses and all those things. But one thing that has stuck with me and what immediately came to mind is somebody wanted to do the uh, traditional, hey, can I get coffee with you, Tyler? And can I pick your brain? And that's fine. I like coffee. I love coffee. But no one likes their brain to be thick. Nobody. Right? <laughs> so it's not that I'm... I'm saying that from a stance because I've also said those same things. It's just this one person approached me in a unique way on Instagram that was uh, seeing me post about going to the gym. And then uh, I think a couple of weeks later, I had posted about being at my grandparents' farm and having uh, fresh farm eggs and then posting about 
a butcher shop that I go to to get fresh meat from. And he had cows and he had fresh meat. He said, yo, man, I would like to grab a lift with you sometime. I actually have, uh, you know, 10 steaks for you. We just got it. You know, it's our cows that we raise. I uh, would love for you to check it out and just love the stuff that you put out online. It's the least I can do. He framed it in a unique way where I was like, he's giving me something. Like, want to give me some, right? <laughs> yeah. But it was so unique. Like he knew that I valued going to the gym. He, he knew I valued eating high quality meat from the butcher. So, uh, and now some people may not be able to do that, but essentially what you're saying, the unconventional path is, I would even argue this as well, Jason, like maybe not even going to you or me online. It's like, Dude, what about the person that has the business that's been operating for 30, 40, 50 years? Like that guy has so much wisdom or that woman has so much wisdom. Thousand percent, man. I think like, like it's, it's cool for people to seek after the individual that was successful, but it's also cool when you seek after the individual that's been successful. I, me personally now, I want to see, okay, you asking me all these questions or you want to do this and that around me or with me, but what have you been doing on your own? Like, don't come to me from ground zero. Like, a lot of people just got their hand out like this. Teach me, teach me, teach me. Nah, man, like, what have you been doing on your own? Like, what ha- what things have you researched? What businesses have failed? Or what lessons have you, have you tried to overcome? Or what have you been through in your life that's going to make me say, you know what, I seen that you tried to do all this by yourself. Higgle my hand, higgle my olive branch, and come on. And that's what happened with me with my guys. So I think it's important that, you know, we're kind of echoing the same things. I do believe in the power of mentorship. I do believe in the power of courses and, and just getting the information. I also believe in the power of, of this one thing. Before you really go after a mentor, you really got to do some things on your own to be self-sufficient, self-aware, and show a level of consistency before you get help from somebody that's been proven in whatever area you're trying to get assistance with. Yeah. And also like to be competent as well in terms of a conversation, like if him and I go to the gym and we work out and to learn about starting, scaling a business or about real estate. And I say something along the lines of, you know, well, you need to talk to a mortgage lender and a realtor. And he's like, who's that? It's like, (laughs) oh, you need to like, you need to speak a little bit of the lingo, right? That was upset, man. Tell me a, a a story of one of your failures that was one of those pivotal moments that makes Jason Jason. So, man, you know, I, I was in I was in the Coast Guard. So, for the audience that didn't know, I was in the Coast Guard, man, for ten years, and then I did Good service. Yeah, appreciate it, man. I got in trouble. Was a knucklehead, man. I did two years in the brig, and for me. I really was going to do 20 years in the Coast Guard, man. Like, I had a trajectory like this. Boom. I was already E6. I was killing it. I was getting promoted every six months. And I thought I was on top of the world already. I thought the world was my oyster. I couldn't do no wrong. I was, uh, you know, the Coast Guard, just to be blunt, is very uh, white and black, right? So it's very white and black. It's either you're doing this work or you're not doing this work. Either you're ready for it or you're not ready for it. And I was ready for everything. And I kept hearing, I'm so exceptional. I'm so great. I'm so great. It got to my head, man. And next thing you know, I'm sitting in the brig for two years looking crazy. So I took that time to not have the, you know. What's the brig? for? Not know. Oh, it's military prison. 
So you you, you do something in some infraction in the military, you don't necessarily go to regular jail, regular prison first, because you gonna go there too, but you gotta go to military prison first. Do do your sentence there, then you get released, and then if they deem it fit, then you do your some more time, you know, out in the world, which I never I never did, thankfully. Uh cause cause I took that time while, while I was in the brig, them two years, man, and just had that self-reflection, self-awareness. Not the woe is me, not the world hates me. Why is this happening to me? Nah. I'm just like, man, what were some of the things that I was doing? And more importantly, what's some of the ways that I was thinking that got me to this place right now? So I never have to be here ever again. And for me, I deemed that initially as a failure, but that was a lesson that I had to be taught to me to sit me down to continue to make Jason Jason. What did you do? What did I do to get in the brig? Something I won't pose to, man. Like <laughs> I violated so many rules, man. I won't pose to do it. I just thought I wasn't gonna get caught. Like most people that do anything that they won't pose to do against rules and regulations. I was like, man, I ain't gonna get caught. Got caught instantly. And that's how I knew I ain't about this life, man. Let me just let me just stay on the path I was supposed to be on. <laughs> So you're just doing some silly stuff. Silly, man. Super silly. You can't share what it was? Look. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically I'm down in Miami trying to be a a, a, a junior um drug lord, basically. Trying to be a junior drug lord down there in Miami. <laughs> How did that um so maybe you did learn from the streets. You're trying to learn from the streets. Uh yeah. you're saying, but yeah. nah, I'm gonna learn a different way from in my life. Yeah, yeah. I ain't about that. When was that? What what year? Uh, that was 2006, 2007, 2008. Okay. So, yeah, uh, you were in the Coast Guard. You obviously had uh, some control. Of yeah, for sure. Where supply was coming from Pablo Escobar's compound, maybe. A little bit. Yeah, a little something. Something. Yeah. <laughs> How does that, uh, and obviously share what makes you feel comfortable or not. So I'm not here trying to like, you know, yeah. share things that you don't want to share. But how does that even happen? Like what, what was that? Like, how do you get, how does, how does that even happen? Like, does, does someone randomly walk up to you? Like, no, you got to think about it. It's just like any drug buzz, right? The, the authorities are able to see so much of whatever the, whatever the drug is. And when, before it gets to lockup or while it's getting the lockup, it don't just magically appear in lockup. Somebody got to transport it to lockup. Somebody got to get it there. And then in between that, that's when certain things can happen that shouldn't be happening. Yeah, yeah, no, the um, the like connection to doing that, like, how did you? Because I've seen these videos online where you see like the U.S. military, yeah, you know, go down and get a um, what's it called? Of course, it's I'm blanking on this. That's down in the water, a submarine. There we go. Okay, a submarine. Okay. Well, no, I no. See- so, so listen. In my case, when so I'm from Norfolk, Virginia. It's nothing to do out there, but sell drugs, play basketball, and play football. So that part of me, I, I didn't live in the hood. I just lived close to it. So I was always in in something. I was always around. I was always in something. But obviously, I'm smart enough to go to the military, right? So I am still got my, I still got my connections. I still got my, my friends that do certain things. And that's how you come up with a connection to it. That, hey, I got this. And you use it. You're the metal man. You can help us get it in. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Did, were you successful at all at moving anything or? Yes, man. What? Yeah. 
but that's not my life. That ain't that ain't you know. It's almost nothing I haven't been successful at doing. But when you find out when you're doing wrong and you get caught doing wrong, it's like, all right, you're going to keep doing it or you're going to, you know, do the thing that you are gifted to do, you know, or find out the things that you're gifted to do. So it was it was a no brainer for me to just if I'm going left now, it's just time to go right. It was too easy for me. Isn't it fascinating? Like a lot of people grew up idolizing Michael Jordan, idolizing Tom Brady. Yeah. And maybe this is, this is a disclaimer. I'm always making disclaimers on here. None of this is financial tax, legal advice, and I'm not supporting anything illegal by any means. Yeah. But I was always fascinated with the movie Goodfellas and just seeing, you know, watching shows about organized crime. And what fascinates me the most about it is, first off, what they did, horrible, right? Yeah. Yeah. The point I'm getting at is, it is absolutely mind blowing that people can build like the Italian mob, like Pablo Escobar. And it's like the fact that you're able to build something like that, which is over time turns into a massive corporation. Yeah. What could you do without your head on the swivel? What could you do in terms of building another type of business? So that's that's- like these, the, the, the crime guys. And it, so the fascination, to be honest, I personally think is the fast money and the materialistic things that an ordinary person can do and still obtain the world and the level of a sports figure, right? So I can't, if somebody can't play sports, if somebody can't box as good, or if somebody can't be an amazing rapper, then guess what? That quick money is still there and you're an ordinary Joe, but you can still have the same life as as those celebrities. So that's where the fascination comes from. But the, the street smart piece of it all is you still have to have a level of organization. You still have to have the level of checks and balances. Now, you most of the time you still get caught, but it, to still have a wherewithal to create an organization where you got checks and balances, lieutenants, captains, foot uh, soldiers, you still got to create all of that and then have it to a certain level where for at least a period of time, it's a smooth machine. That still takes a level of smarts that, you know, a lot of people, like you just said, are are fascinated by. One thing you had is not necessarily the actions that you did that you got caught from, but it was the way you were thinking. We have heard, right, you need to be positive in your thinking. You need to be positive with your words, right? And there's a reason why it's in my opinion named curse words like saying you know bad words right it's a curse it's a spell spelling and so for you it's coming back to like a very simple framework of like human philosophy and psychology of yeah what you think is ultimately what you become so you were thinking some type of way when you were doing those things and you had that epiphany you had that moment when you know you were away for two years right For those that are maybe a similar position, negative thought habits, or they are doing things that they don't align with or around certain people doing certain things and they want to take a single path to take control of their life, what are some things they can think about? Man, I promise you, we all have that moral compass. We all have it. And when you, right before you about to tell a lie, right before you about to do something crazy, 
that little person in your other ear or that feeling in your stomach is telling you, don't say this or don't do this. And I encourage you to listen to it. Just listen to it. If you can hear it, it's, it might be faint because the negative side is so much louder. No, just do it. Just do it. And the positive side is real faint, but you can hear it. So I think my advice is, man, when you got all of those things around you that you don't align with or don't feel good to your spirit, but it might be your natural environment at the time. If everybody going right, that can't be right. You got to go left. If everybody doing these things that don't align with you, it's okay to be different because being different makes you instantly a leader. It makes you instantly a thought, a thought leader and thought provoker as well, because they're going to figure out well, why you ain't doing this and be and have, have the mental callus to take the criticism. Oh, you're a square. Oh, you're a sucker. Oh, you should be doing this like we doing it. Nah, if y'all doing it, I'm proud of y'all. I just got my own path and you got to be able to stand 10 toes down because in anything that you do, getting a new job, creating a new business, starting a new podcast, writing a book, there are going to be those little mountains or mole wheels that you, we can make mountains. And then there's always going to be always going to be that period of uncomfortable, but you got to go through it to be comfortable. What was the process for writing the book? Because I asked that I'm in the process of finishing up my book and I've learned a lot about myself. I've le I learned a lot about my thought patterns. I've had a lot of kind of like procrastination with it as well for wanting it to be perfect, for wanting it to be so impactful. Um, but I'm being long-winded and prefacing this question by sharing my experience because I, I see you laughing there and I'm like, it's a unique thing, right? To like sit down and write a book. And then when you think you're done, you're like, six months might have passed or a couple of weeks or a couple of days. I don't know if I really believe that or do I want it to be like this? And then you see something online or you read something else and like, oh, maybe I want to put that in it. It's a whole weird mind game, right? Yeah. I think the process was totally different. Something I've never been through before. It brought back a lot of, again, self-reflection. It brought back a lot of like, man, I really did this. Man, I really used to think like that. And then it also helped me see pivotal moments in my life. Oh, man, I changed here. Oh, I, re I regressed here. Oh, I took 10 steps over there. So it really helped me look at it like a timeline in my life that I can be proud of in word form, you know, because sometimes when I'm speaking on stage or even right now, like I'm doing this interview, I might not be able to articulate everything that I want to convey. But in that book, you can really slow down and just convey all your thoughts, all your feelings, all your anxiousness. A lot of people might think when you get to a level of success, you don't fear nothing. Oh, you just you just go through it. You, you ain't have no woe is me moments or whatever they might think about somebody that's successful. But everybody's human. Everybody goes through roller coasters of emotions. And I was just proud to be able to put most of those emotions in that book, man. And it was a different vibe. I love it. I love it. Who are who are some of the clients that you help? Like, what do you help people with? I know you're you're coaching, consulting people. You have courses and stuff like that. Kind of some of your specialty, obviously, getting them out of their own way and creating this unconventional path. Of yeah, a lot of times, man. My 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 biggest thing is with coaching and and education, coaching anyway, is teaching people federal government contracting. So a lot of times we get approached by just individuals and businesses that want to obtain 
federal government contracts either in their field or whatever the federal government has to offer. So we've been rocking and rolling, man, since um, 2019, like late 2019. Uh, we've also have about uh, 60, over 6,500 students in our program that's called the Federal Code. And we've been able to help them through education secure $55.3 million worth of federal government contracts for work, for physical work that they're not doing. So I'm very proud of the success of the program. And it's got a, a, lot, of more, a lot more heights to go, way more. That's incredible. Yeah. Can't leave the government, right? You're just like, uh-huh. you know, can't leave it, man. Like, I, can't, I can't leave them alone. They can't leave me alone. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But yeah, it just comes back to you not having that victim, that victim mentality. That's why yeah. I named the show All for Nothing because I think most people go throughout their day, they go throughout their life with nothing to show for it because they're doing all these things that are irrelevant, right? Uh, it's ultimately because of the victim mentality. Well, this happened to me in this circumstance. I grew up here. I grew up with uh, these parents, this skin color. Now, sure, some of those things are valid, right? I get it. But how long are you going to live in that state of mind? There you go. So I want you to share a little bit more around the, the federal government contracts, because I think that one that's very niche down, we've all heard like, you know, you got a niche down. I can clearly tell that, you know, more than just federal government contracts. <laughs> but yeah, what has been, I guess you could say the most successful in terms of the, the students and the members that you've brought in, is it contracts for specific industries or is it all industries? Let me just share some examples. Yeah, all industries, man. One of the things I teach is to not niche down, right? So when you get into the federal government space, there are 96,000 contract op- federal contract opportunities every single day. So why would I worry about one industry when it's 96,000 opportunities? So one of the, thing, one of the things that I, I'm heavy on is don't worry about what you can do. Stop about what you can do is what you can manage. Can you manage the contract and or can you manage the company that's going to be assisting doing the work on your contract? The answer is always yes. So my successful students, uh, they come in, they change their mindset, they hit the ground running, and then they see a level of success that they thought, not what I have for them. A lot of times I hear people with programs say, after this program, you're going to be able to do this. You should be having this success. It's going to take you six months. It's going to take you two months. It would say how long it's going to take you. That shouldn't even matter. What should matter is when you come into the federal code program, you're going to learn this process. Everything else is going to take care of itself. Winning, your mindset, management of contracts, and whatever your whatever success looks like for you, that will take care of itself. But I'm going to make sure that you learn this process. So uh, most of our examples, man, like I said, is, is basically – they come in, they change their mindset, and we go for all opportunities, not just a specific type of opportunity. And I'm gonna push you a little bit as far as uh, kind of how I like. I want to get some insight why, why, why you are the way that you are in your. Let's do it. But I had a guest that came on the show, and he helps people that have demolition, uh, like to do demo. It's more like larger projects, like a multi-million dollar. Hey, we're tearing the skyscraper down. He didn't share exact details, but that's it. Again, kind of what came to mind when you brought up government contracts and the idea that, oh, wait, maybe you don't need to be the one that has the company that actually goes out there and tears it down. You need to find the opportunity and then manage the person that's actually doing the job. There you go. It's the who, not the how. 
right? That's right. the motto you, you've created here with this. Absolutely. The thing is, too, I've never done demolition a day in my life, but I'll be able to manage it. Why? Because I'm going to understand what the expectations are coming from the government. If the government is saying, we want it done like this, right? Boom, 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 boom. Okay, cool. I take those expectations and I give it to the guy that knows how to get those expectations done. Because all I'm going to do is say the government wants it like this. Can you do it like this? And then there's the management piece right there without me having to actually know how to, you know, move the crane around and set up safety measures and all. I don't need to know how to do that. And a lot of times people, when they come into the federal government space looking for contracts, they're looking for themselves and it takes them a while. They can do it and they can be very successful, but it takes them a while because if I'm talking, if I'm talking to the government about the fact that look at my business, look what I have to offer. But they're already telling me I got 96 offers. I got 96,000 offers ready. Why are you telling me what you got? Then there's a contrast right there. So it's always best practice. I teach my students and anybody willing to listen. Scratch the federal government back first. Get some of their offers fulfilled. And then you can always circle back to whatever your amazing company is. How'd you learn? I self-taught, man. I started in 2008 when I came home. It took me three years. It took me three years to learn. I, the crazy thing is, I knew I never wanted to formulate a company to do work for myself. I already knew that. That's the first thing I knew. Because coming from where I came from, I've always been in the middle. I've always orchestrated a deal. I knew I, I didn't want to take the time to build a, a landscaping company, buy lawnmowers and hire employees and get insurance and workman's comp. I always knew I didn't want to do that. So when you, when I, when you have that type of mindset, you got to know, all right, I don't want to have a company like this, but I can partner with a company that already can get busy and I just got to find the work for that partner. And that's how I kind of just kept going. It took me a while because the government jargon is a lot to learn for somebody that that don't like to read, no patience. And I didn't even have a computer back then. So it took me a while to really understand what I was reading, what I really need to be paying attention to, and then how to properly articulate to the people that was going to do the work for me too. Yeah, that's a great way to put it is like, it kind of reminds me of people that we know, and maybe this is you and and uh, and me, and obviously we're all networking, but it's like that we all know that person and or those couple people that just like know everyone. Or like yeah. the ultimate networker. You're like, at the end of the day, if I need to make a phone call to like get some advice or to be like, hey, can you help me get in the restaurant? Then I also need uh, a connection in Idaho and I need there you go. On we all know those couple of people. It's like those the network marketing type individual, right? How can you be the middleman of a proven model and leverage those connections and monetize those connections? That's creating a win-win type uh, relationship, right? Can you maybe share some uh, examples though? Like I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Like, is it getting a contract for doing like a demo project? You know, tearing down a parking garage and you just you know, you go online on the contract and you can, they, they learn the lingo through your course and they learn the process of how to find the deals, bid the deals, like you're sharing all that, right? Yeah, yeah, we have to, right? So the gist of it is I'm teaching them how to go on to 
sam.gov. I'm teaching them how to go on sam.gov and properly look for these type of opportunities. And secondly, I'm teaching them how to approach a business that can help fulfill whatever it is the government is requesting. The approach has to be a right approach. Then I'm, I'm teaching them also how to properly get the quotes and then put their fee and their funds on top of that company's quote. Then I'm also teaching them how to properly submit that bid, submit that proposal to the federal government. And then we're also teaching them how to properly manage that contract from afar because these are, these are federal government contracts. These aren't contracts that we're looking for in our backyard. So I live in Houston, Texas. I'm not teaching people how to look for contracts only if you live in Houston, Texas. I'm telling them is the fed, there's a federal facility in all 50 states. So congratulations if you live in Houston. So what? There's an opportunity in Columbus, Ohio that you can submit proposals for. So I need to effectively teach you how to manage that contract from afar as well. So we teach all of those things heavy because that's the process. And remember, I told you, I'm teaching people the process. Once you learn what this process is and looks like, the winning contracts and all of that good stuff and your lifestyle, that's going to take care of itself. What was your first deal that you did? Grease traps, man. I still never seen one. A what? <laughs> what is I, it? Grease traps. I won a contract for grease traps in 2011. What is that? It's like in the kitchen or something. Like it captured grease. It's, it's a grease oh, trap. A grease tra oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I won that in 2011, man. And I was excited. That contract was valued around $325,000. Because it was my first one, I was as excited. I was getting $125 a month. Now, obviously, I wasn't financially free and living my best life with $125 a month. But it wasn't even about that for me. It was about the fact that I gotten through. I figured out this system. I didn't invent anything. I just figured out how to work it for me and to be successful. And that was my first one, man. Uh, it was. I still remember. It was exciting. I remember calling my mama, man, right there. I did it. I won. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm about to get out your house. I was living in the house. I'm like, I'm about to be out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then you're like, oh, man, well, maybe a couple more deals, and then then we'll get out. Yeah, man. I won, I won another one two months later, though. Two months yes. later, another one. Yeah, and that was uh, that was my profit, $7,000 a month. So <laughs> I was gone. I was out of it. Yeah. <laughs> we made it. We're out of here. We're going to Houston. It's warmer weather. Get me out of here. Now, you say, you're saying a month, 7000 a month. Are these deals that you're getting paid on forever? No, no, no. So contracts typically last for four or five years. So one of the things that I, I heavily teach is, like I said, remember, we're going on Sam.gov and I'm looking for people to, to understand how to look for the right types of opportunities. I want to teach people what I do, which is get residual income from these federal government contracts. So I'm not looking for something that can be done. No disrespect to the demolition companies, but mo most of the time, that's just a one-time job. After the demolition is done, they pay you out. Then you got to look for the next job. So we typically don't teach to go for those. We look for the longevity. Things and services, products and services that have to be delivered or done month after month after month for the next four or five years to create that residual income over multiple contracts. So it's not forever, but it's for four or five years to start. Got it. And I'm sure deals are different, right? Like 
you're basically giving, and I appreciate you sharing this because I know this is very valuable information and this is what this stuff is all about, right? Like, you know, it's kind of like that buy box in real estate. It's like, hey, you know, I'm going for everyone's buy box. Everyone's strategy is a little bit different. Some people only buy single family. Some people only, you know, are in the hotel business. Some people are only doing Airbnbs. So essentially what you're saying is, sure, you can go find those contracts and those deals that, you know, maybe pay you one time, you know, essentially like a wholesaler in a real estate deal. That's the middleman between a distressed seller and then an investor or somebody on the back end and you're getting your, your wholesale fee. That's great. If the number works, but what you're saying is, ah, I get it now. The first deal you did, the grease traps was you got paid $125 a month for maybe four or five years because you found the grease trap company that's coming in to take the grease out of the business, to put a new tank in there and actually fill on the service. And the grease trap company didn't even know how to get the, the deal. So you're basically- Right, exactly, 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 exactly. The key to our success is a lot of people, when they look at government contracting and all this jargon, they don't want to go through it and learn it, but they have a successful business on the private and corporate sectors. So now it's time to get some of the government money. You don't got to worry about this paperwork stuff. I got that. I already got the opportunity. Give me the quote. I'm going to put my money on top and we're going to submit it to the government and we're going to just wash, rinse, repeat. Not in just that industry, but multiple industries. Because if I'm not doing the physical work, why can't I be in every industry and get every type of contract that I'm allowed to? based on the federal government regulations and based on the fact that these companies have the ability to get this work done. So those things we heavily teach as well. So you're showing them how to get that, coming back to the first example of your first deal, you're showing them how to go not only find the contract, find the right opportunity, find the right deal, how to uh, read the lingo and understand it, right? But how to do the proposal, to understand the difference between a bad deal and a good deal based on their goals, based on their situation, but then also how to go get the actual company to go fulfill the service, right? You're showing them that piece as well. Yeah, it's important because that's the biggest piece. If we're not doing it ourselves, it's heavy in the process that I have to teach how to properly go get that other company, negotiate you know, quotes and price points so your profit can be whatever it can be for that particular solicitation and then submit it. So yeah, that's heavy in the process. And they're not usually, because I know I'm comparing this a little bit to wholesaling and real estate. Sometimes people can be upset if the deal's getting wholesale to them, or it's the distressed seller because they go to the closing table and see, you're making how much? Right, yeah. <laughs> sometimes they'll do, uh, they'll do like simultaneous transactions that I'm sure you're aware of. Like you'll close with the seller by getting transactional funding, you'll go get private money from somebody that you know or whatever your model is. Then again, none of this is financial tax legal advice disclaimer, but you'll basically get the money to close on the $100,000 house from the seller that you're buying it from if you're the wholesaler. And then you'll maybe give a couple percent, a couple thousand bucks to the person that gave you that 100000 for, I don't know, 24 hours, if that. Because then you're closing with the investor that's buying it from you for 125000 So you're actually profiting you know, for easy numbers here, 25 grand versus if you do the initial closing, the person that's buying it from you is like, wait, you have it locked in at a hundred. I'm buying it for 125. So you might burn a bridge. That's why people do that type of financing. Have you ran into that problem? Uh, and, or is it like, oh no, you already said this was a good deal. I'm making money, right? Like, is that how you're kind of approaching? It's because the first thing, yeah, I'm approaching it by saying, how much can you do the job for? 
I, I'm asking you from the top, how much money do you want for this? And you say, oh, I want 100000 Okay, congratulations. You're going to get your 100000 But my model is, in any way, let me say it like this too. Federal government contracting, you will never see what the subcontractor will never see what I'm making unless I just tell them. Because they don't see the contract. They're not in a contract with the government. I am. Right? So they will never see how much I'm making anyway, unless you just want to talk to them about it. Like if you, if you, if you are privy to that particular industry and you know they're charging you a crazy amount, let's just say to clean two rooms of carpet, somebody wants $500,000. Why? We know that's ridiculous. Right? So now I'm going to go negotiate your price, but I'm going to be upfront with you. Hey, you can't charge me this much money because I don't have any room to put my money on top because you're charging 500000 So unless you go through a deal like that, which is rare, but if you do, you just disclose, hey, I need to put some money on top. You're not leaving me no room. But most of the time, it's just coming at a price point that I just agreed to. I put my money on top and send it. And they'll never see it. Yeah. If the numbers make sense and or if they don't, you just go, cool, I'll just go to competitors in the area. Yo, if the names don't make sense, I'm moving on. <laughs> yep. And then if you can add your fee on or not, or if you have a relationship with them or you just want to be that blunt, like, you know, there's no margin here for me. What can, what's your, what's your final offer? Like, what's the best number you can do? And so, bingo. Yes, sir. Coming back to the second example, a couple months later, you had locked in a deal for, you know, four or five years, 7,000 a month. I mean, that's, that's no joke. That's $84,000 a year. If I, uh, am I using my numbers correctly here? So. Yeah, it felt good, man. It, it felt good. That That's how I knew I was really on. I Once I won that first one, I knew I was on to something. That second one was that, that proven concept that more, that giving me more of that, of that invincible confidence feeling. And then I was just like, all right, I really need to go extremely hard now. And then that's when I started to do like, I don't know, 15 to 20 proposals a month. I, I was just all in. That's all I did. And I got to a certain level where I was consistently submitting like 15. As long as I got to 10 a month, that was always my thing. Get to 10, get to 10, get to 10. And I was actually exceeding submitting more than 10 proposals a month. And then the next month, I was getting like, you know, like two or three the next month. Every month, it was like two or three, two or three. And I was like, all right. I kind of got my numbers. If I get to 10 and a little over, I'm at least win one next month. And that's all I cared about. Okay. Well, usually about a 10 to 20% closing rate, depending on the proposals set. Yeah. But yeah, something like that's what I end up doing like 10 to 20%, you know, closing rate or awarded amount, uh, award rate. And I was, I was extremely happy with it because that's, that's like, it was my company and I was being successful in my company and building a proven concept for a lifestyle that I wanted. At that time, I wasn't thinking about, you know, teaching nobody anything. It's just, just creating a lifestyle that I want and to just be satisfied, you know, I just be, just be good. Your students and, and members on average, again, for the claims and disclaimers, like you're not saying you're guaranteed to like, you know, they got to put in the work. They got to show up and watch the videos. They got to, they got to do the work. Right. But what would you say, uh, on average, whether you have the exact data points, which is great. And, or if you just have a rough idea, that's, that's great as well. When people come into your program and learn this, 
what do you what do you say on average for them to get that first contract and the estimated amount that they can you know likely anticipate on that for uh, in terms of income in terms of money man i don't even have a clue watch this people get into the program and they work and they work and they work right and sometimes they say i want my first contract sometimes they come back and say man thank you so much I just won my fifth contract. I'm like, wait, what was the first one? Like, when did you win? Like, so the data is so all over the place because they never really tell me the first time they win contracts. I got a student that won, that, that was won the contracts after two weeks of getting the course. Then I got students that won contracts after six months of getting the course. And the range is so different. But we did do a few tallies last year. That's how I know we're over uh, 55 million plus in government contracts awarded in the program. But man, those dollar amounts are all over the place. And the time frame is too. Like I said, my thing is, I like to tell people, I'm not teaching you how to win government contracts. That's not what I'm doing. I'm teaching you the process. And once you got the process, the winning will take care of itself. Because a lot of times people will buy a course or get into something already looking at the end result and skipping the whole process. They on step one, and they already looking at step 20. They already up there. Oh, man, it's going to be like this when I win. Well, what is going to be like when you register your company? You got to do that first. So I kind of like hone people in and just say, hey, you're going to get to the results that you want. Not the, you, you might not have my life. That's fine. You might not have somebody else's life. That's also fine. But whatever the results that you are looking for from this, you're going to get that if you do this. So the stats are all over the place, man. But I'll tell you this. These these are the stats that I know for sure. Um, over 6,500 plus students, the course completion rate is at 97%. And for a digital educational program in these days and times, that those that completion rate is, is, is crazy. So I know people are completing the course. I also know people are doing the work. I just wish I knew more stats than that. Yeah. <laughs> you should, uh, I'm going to give you some unsolicited advice because we all love that, right? Um, yeah, so, yeah. You should consider just throwing in like just some call to action stuff. Just add some extra videos or, you know, have like a VA or like an account manager or whatever. Just uh, maybe like sprinkle that in throughout the course. Like, hey, once you get your first deal, we give you like a shout out, like do something that's obviously uh, that incentivizes them in some manner. Or, you know, sometimes people can just, they, they want to because you change your life, which is ideal, right? But we know humans in terms of wanting a reward for doing it. Um, but I would be curious to know that because I feel like you could have quadruple the amount in there if you know, like, oh, dang, we got. Believe, man. But you know what, too? I, I look at it like this. But thank you for the advice, by the way. But I, I look at it like this, too, man. Like, if somebody says, what's the success rate of your course? They don't got nothing to do with you. You Life could. If you if you if somebody's looking to buy my course off of the success rate of others, then that's the wrong motive anyway. Because once you look at what somebody else has done to a degree, now your whole motive is, oh, they did it. I know I'm gonna do it just just like them. And life could punch that person in the face and they never recover. So I, I don't I, I I do like the fact that somebody's able to re so just to contradict myself at the same time. I do like the fact that somebody's able to research how successful a program is. 
and the level of success of people before them. But I also like the the piece of their success won't be yours because you don't your your lifestyle is different. You don't know the time that that person put in, or you don't know the the help that person may be having to get to that level of success with the self paced program. So is is a two way is a two way street for me, man. I, but I understand yeah. I understand both sides of. It. Yeah, and I mean more for like from like a marketing standpoint. Like if for I'm sure. you, I'd be like, oh wait. I know that there's 6,500 students at a 97% completion rate, uh, and there's over $55 million of, you know, award capital and money that's been earned through these contracts. Anna would be more curious myself if I had 6,500 students to go, okay, we're seeing on average from the moment they buy the course out of 6,500 people, we're seeing on average that they complete this real simple, maybe like job form or Google form. And we're seeing that over uh, a 12 month period of time on average, that's getting submitted week seven. We're seeing that people on average, a thousand people. And then also in that form, it says what the amount was. So then you can kind of get like an average, like from a marketing standpoint, or you're speaking on podcasts or stages, like I have 6,500 students on average, they get their first deal in week 12 for seven figures. And that's years is usually for four or five years, six figures a year. You know what I mean? That's yeah, yeah. No, it's, it makes sense. That's why I said I definitely understand it. Yes, sir. Then the other part is like, yeah, I don't really care about that. I know it works. And there's that's why 6,500 people in there. Right. <laughs> so I get that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just, because I, I like to, I, you know, when I think about things, I like to think of things not just from the business owner standpoint, but from the consumer standpoint, too. There's a lot of stats that get thrown out there. So even in the marketing world, if you give it all these amazing stats, the first person somebody thinks is the skept the skeptical mind is always out there working. The person that says, ah, but I ain't too, that don't even make sense. People don't even complete courses. People don't even buy courses. Like somebody, the skeptical mind is always working. So if your success rate and your completion rate and your on average time is just too good to be true, then guess what? They're going to make, they're going to make something up that is too good to be true as well. So it's just that, it's just that fine line of marketing and how to properly put your stats out there so people can just see, hey, the program is real. But that's why I'm still the face of the program. It hasn't changed yet. I'm I'm so real. I'm so authentic. The things that I say, you can fact check it. I don't have time to sugarcoat. I don't have time to, to you know, shake hands and kiss the babies, be politically correct. So me being the face of the federal code program does help the validity of anybody and any numbers that come from the program because of who I am and what I stand for as an individual. Yeah. And then also, again, always coming back to for the 900 time here, like disclaimers and whatnot, like you also have this mindset, which I definitely admire this and I understand what you're saying. I'd still personally wouldn't want to know. That's how half of my brain works. Oh, Jason, I want to know. Uh, but, but I get it. Cause like, you don't want people with the mindset that, oh, I buy this course and I'm going to finish it and I'm probably going to get my first deal in seven weeks and it's going to be for a million dollars. You're like, no, I don't want that that persona because it might take you 14 weeks. It might take you 14 months and action may not be for seven figures. It might only be for a couple hundred bucks. And that's- and, then, and then T, and look, and then T, check this out. If I was to say on average is this, that, and a third, and to your point, that person go past the average, Guess what they're going to say? The program didn't work, not them. 
<laughs> the program didn't work, man. I'm on my I'm on my 14th week. You said on average it's seven weeks. Now they like it don't work. It can't be it, not knowing the old time is you. You got an unrealistic time frame in your mind and a ticker in your head saying, I have to be successful by this time. Whole time, it took me three years. I ain't gonna, I'm not saying it's going to take anybody three years, but it took me three years. Most people today can't do without a paycheck that they work for for two weeks. They're going to they, they go crazy. They work 80 hours for two weeks and don't get paid. Oh, man, they're going nuts. And I'm, I ain't get no bread for three years. Like, that's where my mental callus has grown and been tough at. I've been without. I understand how to endure, and I know what real sacrifice looks like. So then what? Then, uh, well, actually, no, before I talk about the then what, meaning, like, after you're making this money, then what? Like, what are you uh, interested in when in terms of investing? That's a question, so I don't want to forget that. But what are you looking at as far as the best opportunities in the in the contract space with the federal government? All of them, your brother. All of them. I ain't doing the physical work, so they're all the best opportunities. Come on all now. Come on now. Yeah, they all feel good. <laughs> they all feel good. There's no specific industry. It's like if it meets these parameters, we can submit a proposal. Nope. Nope. Zero. Because, uh, like I'm telling you, if I'm not doing the work, who cares? Who cares who's doing? Who cares who I reach out to? Why do I have to pick? Now, I will tell you this. As you get more seasoned, as you get more into your government contracting business and you're getting a certain type of contract that continues to be awarded to you, then you can go ahead on and niche down and be strategic because that contract keeps coming to you. But when you're going after them, go after them all, go after them all. And then, cause that's, that's helping you, you condense your own learning curve because every situation, I mean, I'm sorry, solicitation and contract is different. Every last one of them is different. So if you jump out the box, try to learn just this one, then all of a sudden, two months later, you try to learn another one, then you're in a whole nother learning curve and not successful no more. So it's just a difference, man. And then to your second part of your question, because I ain't forget it, my brother. And there we go. There we go. After you become successful, and me in my case, my whole thing was to, to start to invest in people and their businesses. So I've been, I've been kind of doing that for roughly around three or four years, but kind of last year and this year, that's going to be my heavy focus, just invest in people and businesses, right? So to continue to keep my same model, me not doing the physical work, letting the money come in off of the efforts that I put and time that I put already and just helping somebody out with financial and whatever resources that I have to help that business thrive and whatever that business is that I'm investing. Yeah, that's crazy you bring that up because that that was also coming to mind as well without trying to get too ahead of myself is I would assume over time as you're building these relationships for with the people and the companies that are fulfilling the service, you naturally may become friends with them. You're doing good business. You guys are making money. You guys are hanging out with each other. Then they go, wow, I'm like relying on Jason because he's the one that's Basically bringing me all my business stuff. Damn me, yeah, he paying me, yeah. <laughs> but then, then you have leverage, and this is not bad, right? When you say leverage in certain words, I think it's a negative thing, but no, that's the value. And the leverage is, hey, yo, I'm bringing all these deals and I'm kind of the lifeblood to your business. I can continue to bring those deals or I can continue 
to bring more deals and we can outline KPIs, key performance indicators that say, I'm going to fill on that, but I need 20% of the business or I need 30% or maybe I can bring the deals and we need to grow the staff so we can go get more and I'll bring the capital so we can go hire people. We need to dial this area in. And then that's how you're able to, in a sense, capture equity. And now you have multiple companies outside of just getting basically the contract, the management company. Yes. Yes. Think about that, man. Like you can become successfully financial, financially free in one area. Then you take that money because right now I got 39 contracts, right? I got 39 active contracts. There's 39 sources of income just coming from the federal government side alone. So you take that, you take that money and now you start to see who can utilize some of my money, but also who can give me some of the biggest returns over a short p- period of time. Because I'm not looking to do business with people forever. I initially start out that way. Let me say that like that. I initially start out, I'm not looking to do business with you forever. Watch yourself telling people that you're like, hey, we want to do business forever. She's like, hold up, let me back up. Let me up. Yeah, maybe two years, a year, something like that, man. Let me get some good returns after I get my money back. And then if I see that your business is thriving, then we can continue to talk. But for the most part, I'm in and out because I enjoy looking for people to talk to, to do business with and invest. And I kind of got, you know, really, really interested in it when I got built that relationship with uh with my boy who's really heavy into it and uh go from there to wrap it up here I like that you said that because business uh is very difficult business partnerships can be a whole another level of difficulty so I'm glad that you brought that up as far as you build these relationships the relationship is built on value then it's built on you know trust and loyalty but one thing I love that you said is I'm not looking to do business with people forever. We can do business forever, but there has to be checkpoints along the way. It's like an athlete signing a contract like, hey, here's a two-year contract. Here's some incentives. If you do well, great. You have leverage. We're revisiting the conversation in a year, in two years. And so for you, that's what you've done. Then you can identify uh, the pain points, the strengths, the weaknesses, and then handle that negotiation accordingly. So for those that want to connect with you, Jason, I know that you're you're big online and you are putting content out, you're speaking on stages, you got the book. Uh, anything else that you want to share with the audience? Man, just continue to check on my Instagram, man. Every now and then I just pop in your city and I do a live federal government workshop, man. They, they are always amazing to, you can get the album and you can listen to it yourself. But when you're able to go to that live concert, and catch that live energy for that individual, ain't nothing like it. So I can be reached and contacted and watched and followed on my Instagram at I am Jason White underscore. I am Jason White underscore. And my website to look at the services that we offer uh, with federal government contracting is thefederalcode.com. Thefederalcode.com. And pay your taxes, people. So you yes, have to government contracts. Jason, <laughs> pleasure, brother. I appreciate you, man. Let's stay in touch and um, um, send you everything over as well. So uh, thanks again for your time, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, my brother. Take care.